0: Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is focused on one of the 12 steps of AA. John Glenn taught the 12 steps to the church because Alpha Ministries contends that all people need recovery from something. And the 12 Steps is the best program out there and most closely reflects the idea of discipleship and relationship Jesus had in mind. Enjoy and glean from the message and remember, one day at a time.
1: Our purpose in studying is uh, specifically to use what has been tested and tried and does in fact work. As a matter of fact, statistically, uh, the only faith-based program, if you will, that can boast any success in dealing with alcoholism or drug addiction, or any other form of addiction for that matter, uh, with any degree of certainty is the AA program. And it's been around and helped countless thousands of people over the years, since the 1930s, not only in this country, but all throughout the world. So um, evidently they hit on something that's worth our study. But more than that, the 12 steps as I hope to demonstrate in Journey to Freedom for all of you is also a a beautiful overview on what a healthy functional life looks like. It's a an overview that is spiritual, it's not religious in any way, but it is spiritual and therefore can be illustrated biblically. And So what I'm doing specifically in this series the journey to freedom series and the, this portion of the journey to freedom series as we look at that is correlating the steps with the biblical information and what the Bible actually says about doing this kind of a step now notice as you I'm sure you already have up to this point uh, the Bible doesn't record the 12 steps you know that but the concepts that are given in each one of these 12 steps are biblical And so what I'm trying to do in this uh, segment of the Journey to Freedom series is to illustrate the 12 steps from a biblical perspective to tie it in with what we've also studied the uh, beginning of the Journey to Freedom series, of course, is the Alpha series. And there it's a biblical self-awareness that you come to understand how your problems develop, the application of the gospel in terms of a new identity in Christ, and turning the relational corner to actually learn to love other people like Christ. The 12 steps follows essentially the same outline. The first three steps deals with the... Is that talking to you, George? Is that, is that me? The first three steps deal with your relationship to God, and these steps that we're currently on now, steps 5 through 7, concern your relationship to yourself in preparation for steps 8 through 12, your relationship with others. So it follows essentially the same format as the Alpha series. So this is why we're studying it. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to help us understand the fifth step tonight. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come into your presence tonight, we thank you, we praise you for your spirit who guides and directs our study, for your word that's been written and preserved for us, and for your spirit teaching us through your word on what the meaning of this step is and how it is that we are to apply it in our lives on a daily basis. We ask you to teach us as only you can do, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This particular session on the fifth step in our Journey to Freedom series is going to concern an action that we take individually in recovery in response to the first four steps of the program. The first four steps, by way of review, is first of all, we admit that we're powerless over whatever dysfunction is plaguing us, alcoholism, drug addiction, sexual addiction, shopaholism, whatever it is. We're powerless over that. We can't change it. We came to believe in step two that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. In step three we made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand Him, that higher power. Step four that we considered in our last session, we made a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. Now this was kind of a scary thing, as we illustrated in our last session, to actually look at yourself honestly, to take a long, honest look inside. Matter of fact, I borrowed a phrase from a fellow called the trip in. And I illustrated to you in our last session of how we take this trip in, beginning with the situation whatever situation we find ourselves in, then moving a step beneath that situation to what we did or said, our behavior, and then below that to our emotions, what prompted us emotionally to do or say whatever we did or said, and then finally to get down to what we were thinking, our beliefs about ourselves that produce those emotions and ultimately the behavior. When you do a trip in like that, you're really doing a fifth step or a fourth step rather. You're you're doing a searching moral inventory of yourself and as the big book says in aa as you you were looking for character what they call character defects now religiously you might call it sin or psychologically you might call it dysfunction but that's what you're looking for in yourself now, how many of you realize that it's a lot easier to see dysfunction and sin and character defects in other people besides yourself? But the point of this exercise in step four is to look at yourself. And that requires a tremendous amount of honesty. To be honest with yourself about yourself. Once you've done that step, once you've taken this trip in, once you've identified those wrongs, those character defects, you've Taken a giant step forward in solving the problem and moving into recovery. You see, it's the age old problem of a proper diagnosis. Unless you're able to properly diagnose the problem, it's almost certain you'll never fix it. Whereas if you can accurately diagnose the problem, then you have a chance at getting it fixed. So it's kind of like me and mechanical devices of one sort or another, particularly my truck. If I go out and get in the truck, turn the key, nothing happens. All of a sudden I'm thinking, what's the problem? How come I'm, I'm used to it turning over and driving off? And I've done this before, actually. I've had that problem I said, oh I know what the problem is. Immediately with all my vast mechanical knowledge I know exactly what the problem is. The problem is the battery's dead. And so I quick run down to Walmart, buy a new battery, come back, change it out, turn the key, and nothing happens. Hmm. I thought the problem was the battery was dead. You see what happened there? I just wasted a lot of time, energy, and money, didn't I? Why? Because I didn't properly diagnose the problem. Unless you do a proper fourth step in the twelve in the twelve steps, unless you do a proper diagnosis of a moral ser- or searching fearless moral inventory you're not going to know what needs to be fixed. And you can engage in all kinds of activities, religious or otherwise, and still remain just the same, not really fixed. So the fourth step's important, but what do we do after we do a fourth step? Now, in our last session on the fourth step, remember I warned you, cautioned you that the first time you try to do a trip in, the first time you try to do a fourth step, it's probably going to be pretty cheesy. By that, I mean it's probably not going to really get down to the heart issues. You're going to have a tendency to rationalize, justify, and minimize, use all those defense mechanisms psychologists uh, tell us about to make yourself look good even while you're trying to diagnose your own problem. And that's a natural tendency in all of us. And when you do that first, fourth step, it's probably going to be pretty... Uh, lightweight compared to what you'll learn to do um, very quickly uh, in your daily lifestyle of recovery. But it is nonetheless important that you start with a diagnosis. And when you do, you find out that you have certain character defects or you discover certain things that are wrong, like wrong behavior. You said something wrong or you did something wrong or wrong feelings. What do I mean by wrong feelings? I'm not just talking about the negative feelings of anger Or hurt pain or the negative feeling of concern or objective fear. The wrong feelings are the destructive emotions. You see a lot of folks look inside and say well the reason I said that or the reason I did that is because I was mad and say okay let's look at your anger. Is that really angry? Were you really angry? Were you really just experiencing anger there? Or could have been hatred. And then all of a sudden the defenses go up. Oh no, I don't hate anybody. Not me. I've just been mad at him for twenty-five years. I don't hate him. I've just been mad at him that long. If you're mad at him more than thirty seconds, you hate him. Trust me. To do a proper diagnosis in the fourth step, you're gonna have to get real about the wrongs on an emotional level. Your emotions of hatred, self-pity, anxiety, are destructive emotions that not only destroy your relationships with others, but they destroy you personally and also physically. So to get down and do a fourth step, a really thorough fourth step is an important part of diagnosing why it is we need recovery in the first place. So you've got wrong behaviors, you've got wrong emotions, But what we got down to in our last session is the wrong thinking that produces that. That wrong thinking, I just used a little format out of the Alpha Series. I referred you to the Alpha Series. That little format, I will be worthy if dot, 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 and you fill in the blank. Now, what's wrong with that? It doesn't sound wrong, but it's actually one of the most evil thoughts you'll ever have in your life. Because when you're saying, I will be worthy if... No matter what you fill in the blank with, good, bad, or ugly, what you're really saying about yourself at that moment is, right now, I'm worthless. Right now, I'm not secure. I'm not loved. I'm not s- accepted. I'm not forgiven. I'm not important. I'm not significant. My life has no meaning, purpose to it, and I'm not adequate. All of those statements are lies. Now, how do I know they're lies? Because I've scrutinized your life? No. No. I know their lies because I know what the scripture says about you. I know what God says he made you to be. I've read Romans 6, 7 and 8. I've studied Ephesians chapter 1, 2 and 3. I know what God says about you. And he says you are worthy. He says you are secure in his love and significant in his plan. He doesn't say you will be worthy if. He says you are worthy now. I already know that. So whenever I hear I will be worthy if, I know it's a lie. I know that's wrong thinking. So we've got wrong behavior, wrong emotions, and wrong thinking all derived from that fearless and searching moral inventory that we took called the fourth step. Now there's no one that I know of, no human being since Adam, With the exception of Jesus, of course, no human being except Adam that does a trip in or the fourth step that cannot come up with a list of wrongs, otherwise known as character defects, because that's the way we're born. But what do we do with these? Okay, now we got them. What do we do with them? This is why I like this program of recovery so well, because it goes right on in the fifth step, what we're going to talk about tonight, to tell you what to begin to do with these wrongs that you've identified. Once you've identified them, the fifth step simply says, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Now, in the big book, again, it gives you a description of this fifth step in the chapter on how it works. It gives you kind of a description of the fifth step. And I'm not going to go back through the, fi- the big book with you. You can read that on your own. I'm not going to go uh, read that to you, just to give you what they say. I'm going to take a little advance on that. I'm going to add to what they say a couple of scriptures to help you understand the biblical basis for this fifth step. So what it says in, in essence in the fifth step is we're going to admit to God and we're going to admit to ourselves, which we have to do in the process of the fourth step to start with, and we're going to admit to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Now, the clearer your diagnosis is of your wrongs, the easier it's going to be for you to do a fifth step concerning the exact nature of your wrongs and I'm not going to get into that detail with you tonight. What I want to talk about tonight is the biblical basis of admitting the exact nature of our wrongs. There are two passages that I want to correlate the fifth step with. The first has to do with what I call uh, walking in the light. And it's in the first general letter, First John chapter 1, a passage that he describes essentially the issue of the fifth step. Let me just read these verses to you, and you you see if you can't follow along with me, and see if you can hear the fifth step in these verses. I'm going to break into the context here in verse 5. 1 John 1, verse 5, he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the fifth step is kind of a cleansing step. As a matter of fact, I like the way the big book describes actually steps four, five, six, and seven as you doing your housekeeping, your house cleaning. You're cleaning up your house, so to speak, in these steps. It's a cleansing step. Now, in order to give you the proper biblical perspective of this step, I wanted to use 1 John chapter 1 to help you understand what you're really doing in the fourth and fifth step is you're really beginning to walk in the light as he is in the light. You see, religiously, people will look at the scripture and they'll make a mistake thinking, well, walking in the light has to do with what you do or don't do. And they look at it only on that behavioral level that we were talking about in the trip in. But you see, walking in the light means more than just what you do or don't do. As a matter of fact, it it's hardly even references what you do or don't do. Walking in the light has more to do with your perceptions than it does your behavior. And what I mean by that is when you walk in the light, you can actually see where you're going. You can perceive what's true and real as opposed to walking in darkness. If I were to shut off all the lights in this room this evening and try to walk around, I would undoubtedly run into the table or you trip and fall. Walking in darkness is going to cause you to stumble and fall. But walking in the light, I'm able to see clearly the way things really are. And that's really the concept here. So John tells us, God is light. He sees clearly the way things are. And those of us who walk in the light as he is in the light, he is happy to cleanse us from all sin. By the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, God is continuously cleansing us from all sin. If, here's the condition, we walk in the light as he is in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light as he is in the light? Last week in order to give you encouragement on the fourth step in our last session to do that fearless moral inventory I told you in order to get over your natural defenses, the natural tendency that you have to rationalize, excuse your behavior or your emotions or your beliefs to get in order to get past your own defenses and to get honest about your character defects to accurately diagnose the problem, you're going to have to have some courage. You're going to have to be fearless. Where are you going to get that courage? I shared with you last week, just very briefly, the, the good news or the gospel of God making you a brand new person that is different from the old conditioning of who you used to be the Bible calls your flesh. If you are able to separate out your true identity as a child of God from your natural identity in the flesh then you have the courage to get honest about your natural identity. If however you think you're still the same old person you've always been all your defenses will come up to play. All your defenses to minimize, rationalize, justify, excuse, project all of your character defects, all of your wrongs. You're trying to hide Remember what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they were exposed and they suddenly their eyes were open they were walking in the light and they were naked. Remember that? They were naked and ashamed. What's the first thing they did? Sewed those fig leaves together didn't they? Tried to cover their nakedness with their fig leaves. Those were their defense mechanisms. Well we do that naturally when it comes to the fourth step. We don't want to get real and honest about our character defects. We don't want to get that brutally honest with ourselves so we began to use our little fig leaves of defenses to cover our nakedness out of fear. However, if you get the courage that comes from the gospel and that courage comes, just visualize it this way, that God clothes your nakedness just like he clothed Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember he sacrificed two animals and he took their coats their skins and from that he made coats and clothed the nakedness of Adam and Eve see God has clothed you with the righteousness of Christ by making you a new person he's already done that you don't have to do that he did it and if you believe that if you believe that God has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself he has covered your nakedness he has made you worthy he has made you okay Then you have the courage to look at that natural conditioning you've had all your life called the flesh and to get real and honest about the character defects of that flesh the fleshly thinking the fleshly feelings the fleshly behavior and when you do you're able to do an accurate fourth step a real intense fourth step but then what do we do with that fourth step well when we when we're doing that fourth step the first thing he tells us to do is we admit to ourselves. Well, that's walking in the light. We were talking about that. We admit to God, who is light, and ourselves, that we have this flesh. But he also throws in another human being here, and that makes us nervous again. We don't mind getting honest with ourselves. We don't mind even letting God in on it. Okay, but we don't want anybody else to know about this. Okay, we don't we don't want to have to talk to somebody else about it our stuff we want to keep that kind of hidden naturally because naturally we all are approval addicts and we want other people to approve of us and we're afraid if they really see us like we really are that they'll run off in horror from us and will not approve of us much less love us so we don't want to really get down and dirty with everybody out there normally well the fifth step We need some encouragement along this line, and the first way again is to get it spiritually from God. So you're going to be admitting to God, that's walking in the light as He is in the light. See God already sees your character defects, He already knows all about them. He already knows your flesh better than you know your flesh. He knows how corrupt it is. He knows how selfish you were when you were born. He knows what you did to cover that up. He knows everything about your life already, He already knows it, He's in the light. So he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means we see things the way God does. But here's the two things we're going to have to keep in mind when we're walking in the light. There are two things we desperately need to see. Number one, I've just been talking about in terms of the fourth step, we need to see our character defects. That is our flesh. We need to see our earthly condition, even though we ourselves Are born of the Spirit, even though we ourselves have turned our lives and our will over to the care of God as we understand him, even though we ourselves are brand new creatures, even though we ourselves as I illustrated for you last week in that little triangle on the board, we ourselves are holy and without blame before God and love. We have been created in righteousness and true holiness. That's who God has made us to be, just like Jesus. We we yet live in a physical body that still has the flesh in it. And nothing's happened to that flesh. That flesh is just as nasty tonight as it ever has been. Nothing happened to that flesh at all. So it's still there in the same body with you which causes a tremendous conflict. When we walk in the light we need to be real about that flesh. We need to be doing that fourth step. We need to be seeing yes I have the flesh. That's my natural earthly condition. While I'm still in this body, I still have the flesh. I still have natural tendency for wrong thinking, wrong feelings, and wrong behavior. It's still there in my life, I'm yet living in this physical body. But that's not the only thing we need to see. At the same time, walking in the light, we need to see that we are, in fact, a new person created in Christ Jesus, that the real us is Never has sinned, is not sinning now, never will. The real us has no character defect. The real us, the real person God has made us to be, is just as perfect as Jesus. Now we've got to hang on to both of these to walk in the light. If you let go of one or the other, you won't be walking in the light. If you forget your identity of who God has made you to be in Christ as absolutely righteous, you won't walk in the light. If, on the other hand, you forget that you still have the flesh that is just as filthy as it was before you became a new creature, you won't be walking in the light. You see, here's the hard part of walking in the light. Walking in the light means you see both things at the same time. But when you walk in the light, listen to the promise. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice God made through his son, Jesus, keeps on cleansing us. It's written in the present tense in the Greek. Keeps on cleansing us from all sin. It keeps on getting rid of those character defects. It keeps on getting rid of all. Our wrong thinking, our wrong feelings, our wrong behavior. Now again in, in verse 8 he warns us against that self-deception he says if we say we have no flesh no sin no character defects if we refuse to do a fourth step to put it in AA language oh I don't need to do a fourth step if we refuse to do a tenth step which is doing a fourth step every day in AA language If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now notice who we don't deceive. We don't deceive other people. Other people will see clearly. Remember how easy it is for you to see other people's faults and character defects? Other people will see clearly our character defects and our faults. But we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now in strong contrast to that self-deception, He goes right on to say if we confess our sins now here our confession is to God to ourselves but AA tacked on another little uh, fact here about our confession that's absolutely essential important to another human being to God ourselves and another human being if we confess our sins he, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let's take that apart so we understand what he's saying. First of all, he's faithful. That means every time. How often are you going to do a fourth step? Proper answer, every day. Because before you go to bed at night, you're going to take that moral inventory on how your day went. And you're going to promptly admit it when you're wrong, when you had wrong thinking, wrong feelings, wrong behavior. So you're going to do four step every day. That means God's going to have to be there every day. To what? To forgive. Now what does forgiveness mean? Literally, it means to send away. That's what forgiveness is. Send away. Now it's real important you understand this process at this point, at this juncture, because many people get trapped here. They get to thinking when I do a fourth step and I see all this terrible stuff, all these character defects and I see all this flesh, I see all this sin, I see all this wrong thinking and wrong feeling and wrong behavior. That means I've got to do something about it to change myself. Because I see it, I've got to do something to change myself. That's a trap. You have never been able to do anything to change yourself and you will never be able to do anything to get rid of it or change yourself. That's not why you're looking at it. You're not looking at it so that you can change it because you can't. If you could, just think about it a moment, if you could change yourself, then you don't need a savior. You are your savior. You don't need a higher power. You are your power. You don't need a God. You are your God, but you can't. So you can't change yourself. So don't take the fourth step as an automatic signal that you're off to the races in a self-improvement program. Okay, now I see what I need to change, and I'm going to promise to turn over a new leaf, pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm going to improve myself and change myself. No, that's not what you're doing a fourth step for. And when it comes to the fifth step, you're not promising God, like many people do, I'm going to promise God that I'll be different from now on. Yeah, I see what my fault is here. And from now on, I'll never do it again. I'm going to promise God not to do it. No, that's not a fifth step. A fifth step is simply agreeing with God. You see, when he says, if we confess our sins, the literal Greek, Greek word translated confess is homolegao, which literally means to speak the same thing. What God requires is that you agree with him. About those defects you agree with him about the lies that you're believing about your worth you agree with him about the Sinful destructive emotions that are driving you crazy. You agree with him about the wrong Selfish behavior that you're engaged in you agree with him about your flesh That's all Doesn't mean you change your flesh. It means you agree with God about it. I like to put it this way When I do a fourth step and fifth step when I go through it and I identify myself some false belief I will be worthy if and that leading to false uh, or wrong and sinful destructive emotions of hatred bitterness and rage and it leads me to do and say things that I know are not loving and I recognize that I like to think of it this way I like to step back from my flesh for a moment and talk to God. Say, God, look at this mess. This is filthy. Do you hear what I just said? Did you see what I just did? Can you feel what I'm feeling and the rage and what I want to do? That's not me, God. That's not who you made me to be. Walking in the light. That's not like your son Jesus, and that's who you made me to be. That's not me. That's to my stinking flesh. That's my filthy flesh. God, you're going to have to do something about that mess. I don't like it. I don't want it anymore. You do something about it because I can't. You see, that's a lot different than when you see those character defects and you see that funky flesh bowing up, raising its ugly head, you say, okay, I'm gonna change that. You can't change it. Only God can change it. So to do a fifth step, you simply agree with God. Hey, that is a mess. It needs to be changed. You agree with yourself. Yeah, I agree it needs to be changed. You agree with God. Now, to complete the fifth step, you agree with another human being. What's so important about that? AA. Notice that the folks who failed to do that, to get honest with another human being and actually tell them their life story in some detail about their, ca- illustrating their character defects and so on, the folks who failed to do that would get drunk again. The folks who failed to do that would not go on in the program. Why is that so important? I'll give you one other scripture. The scripture is found in a little old book called James. James was a half-brother of Jesus. He wrote a little letter that some people challenged, thinking that it, it's not applicable to us because they accused James of being a legalist. You all know what a legalist is? A legalist is some guy who tries to live his life by the law, and so therefore they accused James of being a legalist. But really what James was trying to do was to try to, he was trying to counteract The licentious nature of folks who began to hear grace because as you know the grace message always 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 the first response natural response to the grace message is well if we're saved by grace and I can do anything I want to do and get away with it and still die and go to heaven okay it turns grace into licentiousness into a license to sin immediately James in fighting that writes this little no-nonsense book Which, by the way, according to the history of AA, the uh, founders, one of the wives' uh, wife, is said to have read the book of James to Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob every night. She would read to them out of the book of James. And part of their recovery, an integral part of their recovery, was what they understood and what they gleaned from reading the book of James. But here's one verse I want to give you. It's found in the J- last chapter of James, James chapter 5, verse f- 16. It simply says this, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now I know I'm lifting that out of context here a little bit, but I want you to understand what he's, what he's urging you to do here. He's urging you to do a fifth step. He's saying confess your faults one to another. So let's look at that. What would it take to actually confess your faults one to another? It takes a humility on your part, a true sense of spiritual humility now. I'm not talking about false humility. False humility is are those kind of people who are always beating themselves up in front of other people, hoping that somebody will come by and stroke them and pat them on the popo and tell them what a wonderful person they are. That's not humility at all. That's false humility. Another type of false humility is self-centered focus on yourself, hoping to gain the pity of other people. That's false humility. True humility, like Jesus had when he humbled himself, true humility is not that you think of yourself as being less than others. True humility is that you think of yourself less than you think of others. That's true humility. And in humility, James says, confess your faults one to another. What does he mean by that? Understanding the gospel that you are, in fact, worthy because who God has made you to be. Understanding the gospel that you are not your funky flesh, your filthy flesh, that you are separate from that flesh. You can have the courage to get real enough to be honest about your flesh in a fourth step. But you can also have the courage in the fifth step to tell other people about your funky flesh without worrying about it. Telling them, that's not me, that's my flesh. Did you know that Paul actually did a fifth step in Romans chapter 7? Yeah, he did. Later on this evening, I'll give you this assignment, go read it. In Romans chapter 7 verse 14, here's what the apostle Paul an apostle now for 17 to 23 years. Here's what he had to say. What I do, I don't understand. For when I want to do what's good, I don't do it. And when I want to quit doing what's wrong, I do it anyhow. I don't understand that. What was he doing there? A fifth step. He actually wrote his fifth step down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so you all could benefit from that. See, confessing your fault to another is not just good for you. It's good for you. And normally when we look at the fifth step, we say, oh, you need to do this for you. But remember, you're in a context, in the greater context in the body of Christ. It is good for others. Because I'll guarantee you this you will never do a fifth step that is unique to the human race. And by that I mean, you will never do a fifth step, ever do a fifth step that somebody else hasn't already done. And you think you're the only one. You think you're the only one this has ever happened to. You're the only one that ever thought that way. You're the only one that ever did that kind of thing. You're the only one that ever felt that way. That is an egocentric maniac that thinks that way. You don't understand that your flesh is just like everybody else's. That there isn't any difference whatsoever. So when you do a fifth step, when you confess your fault, your faults to one another, to someone else, another human being, you get real with them, guess what that does for them? It encourages them to get real with themselves. You see, it's a domino effect. You get real about your stinking flesh, somebody else will get real about theirs. And by the way, this is a little key to relationships, which we haven't gotten to yet. We will, they're coming down the road in our little path of recovery here. But a little key to relationships is the two people in relationship need to get real about their own stinking flesh with each other. They don't have a relationship. They can't. Why? Because they can't encourage each other in one of the worst issues that you'll ever deal with in your life, and that is your own stinking flesh. You think you're going to put a lid on it like kitty litter? You're going to cover it up? You're going to hide it? It ain't going to happen. You're going to need to confess your faults one to another, not just for your sake but for theirs. Now, AA put it this way in the big book, and I think it merits some attention. If you go back and read it, you can pick up uh, on it. But they said, there's an immediate response, there's an immediate thing that happens when you actually do a fifth step that's beneficial. You get a load off of you. And they, they call it by various terms. They refer to it as this newfound peace that you have. And there's the reason why, psychologically. As long as that deep, dark, hidden secret you've got remains in there, locked in your own heart, in mind. It's hiding in the darkness. And like all monsters in the dark, it's horrendous. It's big. It's ugly. But when you do a fifth step and you take that monster in the dark out and put him in the light, you find out he's a little imp. It's not as big. The most shocking response that people have, the other human being that people do a fifth step with, the most shocking response that they get is, is that it? Is that all? Man, the way you were talking, I thought there was gonna be some big deal here. Is that all you did? That's the most common response. But why is that? Because we, when we keep it hidden, grows into this monumental thing we think is devastating and nobody really cares. It's kind of like thinking about what other people think about you. You ever get trapped in that? I know you do. Oh, I wonder what people are gonna say about me. You walk into a crowded room after you've done something and, and you swear, everybody's talking about me. They're over there in the corner talking about me. They're looking at me. No, they ain't looking at you. They could give a rusty rat's butt about you. They got their own problems. But here you are, the egomaniac, thinking everybody in the world thinks about you. They don't care about you. Do a fifth step and you'll learn that. They ain't worried about you. They're worried about them, not you. So you can relax with this fifth step. When you experience that by admitting to another human being the exact nature of your wrongs, you have this newfound freedom all of a sudden. You're going, man, I've been carrying this around trying to cover it like kitty litter, trying to push it down, trying to keep it hidden, trying to defend it and rationalize and justify it. You've spent all this mental energy for nothing. And if you use all that mental energy trying to hide what you consider to be this most terrible secret, then you're not using any mental energy to love other people and your relationships suffer so it's an amazing thing that AA discovered that when you admit to another human being the exact nature of your wrongs it diffuses them you no longer have to walk around carrying them again and again I think it was because the Lord put me in a spot as a leader in the body of Christ as a teacher pastor, when I was dealing with one of my more severe issues, one of my character defects associated with post-traumatic stress disorder years ago, some 12 years ago or 10 or 12 years ago, he actually put me up front in front of a congregation that I was supposed to be ministering to while I had this seething rage for 17 years bubbling over in me. And I had to admit to a whole bunch of human beings what was going on inside of me. This rage that was driving me crazy and had been for 17 years. So I did my fifth step in front of a congregation on a Sunday morning concerning that issue. But I'll never forget, difficult as it was, in the weeks after that I'll never forget what I felt like that afternoon I felt like I had been born again again that's how I felt I felt a hundred pounds lighter I felt the pure joy of God and the love of God why? because I did a fifth step I admitted to another human being the exact nature of my wrong in that instance it was intense rage and hatred I admitted it boy I felt good and it went on that feeling went on for weeks I felt free I had more energy see there's a very important personal reason why you do a fifth step psychologically it benefits you but don't forget that fifth step also benefits others so james says confess your faults one to another why would james tell us to do that and pray that you may be healed why would he tell you to do that it's not only for your sake it's for others as well you see as we're going to get into later in our study and these steps, we're going to move from getting honest and real about ourselves and doing our own housekeeping, as it were, to our relationships to others. So this is all part of that preparation to be able to relate in a healthy way to others. Because unless this fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh steps are in place, by the time you get to your relationship to others, you're not going to have anything to use. You're not going to have the tools you need to be able to develop healthy relationships. So two things I want to leave you with about the fifth step. Number one, it's the only logical thing to do because it's walking in the light. We've got to get real. If we see ourselves as a brand new person in Christ, we have the moral courage to actually get honest about our funky flesh, just like Paul did when he did his fifth step in Romans 7. I can't tell you how much of an encouragement that has been to me over the years beginning right at the outset of my my ministry to read Paul's testimony in Romans chapter 7 when he did his fifth step on paper and to see his struggle with that inner conflict and knowing what's right and not being able to do it and knowing what's wrong and not keeping himself from doing it. Crying out to the Father, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God. You see, that fifth step was such an encouragement to me, personally. It actually led me to take a step of faith to serve God. And my, my thinking was, is if that radical lunatic could do it, I could do it. You're going to encourage others with your fifth step. And you'll relieve yourself. So as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, it is God that's changing you, not you. That's why you do the fourth step. You see what needs to be changed. But immediately, the fifth step, you admit it to God. Because he's the one that has to do the changing, not you. You haven't got the ability. You don't have the power, remember? You're powerless. And you've come to believe that a power greater than you could restore you to sanity. And you've turned your will and your life over to his care. So in the fourth step, you see what needs to be changed. In the fifth step, you give it to him. Change it. And you're honest about that with others, not only for yourself, to relieve yourself, but also to encourage them as well. Because, as Solomon put it, there's nothing new under the sun. That includes your flesh as much as it does anything else. You see, you might think you're the only person in the world that has ever had to deal with this. You're not. It's common to man. And God will use your experience as he comforts you in your trouble so that you'll be able to comfort others in their trouble with the same comfort you yourself received. See, that's how God has designed it. So an as, as integral part of that is this fifth step we've considered this evening. Now, next week, we'll get into the sixth step. So we're going to quit
0: for now. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.